0: So tonight we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 14. This is a topical message tonight. John 14, verses 12 through 14. As I mentioned, we're starting a new study called Wrestling with God. Going to deal with difficult subjects that may make it difficult to believe. So tonight we're talking about unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. We're going to go to John chapter 14, very popular passage John 14 verse 12 through 14 we'll read the passage we'll pray and we'll begin tonight Jesus speaking to his disciples says most assuredly I say to you he who believes in me the works that I do he will also or do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Thank you, Lord, for this evening. I pray, Lord, that people's hearts would be touched. We would be inspired and influenced in order to make a difference, but only because of what you've done for us first. So we pray that we fall more in love with you and that we come to a greater understanding of your purposes and your plans. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of the passages of the Bible that you feel like should have came with a lot of asterisks and a lot of exceptions, right? If Jesus is speaking to you he says, hey guys, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But, I mean, if it's not really in my will, and if it's, if it's something that's selfish and... And you put all these different excuses, right? And it's like, well, he didn't say that. He said, ask anything in my name and I will do it. But it's it's passages like this that causes people to go, well, I asked and I prayed in Jesus' name. Why isn't God doing anything about it? Why does it feel like God is absolutely silent when I bring my request to him? Have you ever felt that way? That you're praying a prayer and you're expecting God to answer and there's no movement. There's nothing, right? You're saying, all right, Lord, I want you to tell me, like, is this the person that I'm supposed to marry? Is this the person that I'm supposed to date, right? And you're waiting. Like, okay, he's going to like, he's going to say something, right? He's God. He's my heavenly father. He's going to give me direction. My earthly father, my earthly mother gives me plenty of advice, unsolicited information and opinions, right? But I'm waiting, all right, God, tell me. It's like, is this person the one? You hear nothing. You're like, well, he didn't really say no. So I guess that's a yes, right? Or finding the right job. And right now, maybe it's been hard with COVID, and you're searching about like, where do I fit in? Should I just go back to school, get a master's? Should I get an internship? Should I be looking for a job? And you're praying, you're asking God, and it seems like He's not answering. So, what do you do with unanswered prayers? Many of you may know my story, but I remember in 2009, I was at a youth workers conference in California at the Calvary Chapel Bible College. I was there to learn about youth ministry. And at that time, my job was working at Exxon Mobil as a gas attendant, which was a very lucrative position, I might say. You know, it's a very rare position. 48 other states do not have it. So I felt like I could really work up my way in the company. And one day own gas myself I guess but so I remember praying because I was in this place where I finished two years at Brookdale Community College and I was like well I have no idea what I'm going to do I still don't know I majored in acting and theater in Brookdale right so it's like what am I going to do with that so I thought maybe I'll get an acting school so I applied to Rutgers and Mason Gross and I figured well with God all things are possible I'm a Christian so obviously God's going to get me in it doesn't matter if they take 16 out of a thousand people they'll surely take me I'm a believer." And so I applied and I didn't make it. So then I'm like, well, that's, that's strange. But obviously I'm still called to do it. So I'm going to pray to God and he's going to make a way. Maybe I don't even have to go to school. God's just going to give me the break and I'm going to talk to the right person. And he's just going to do everything himself. And God gets all the glory because I didn't even go to Mason Gross or something like that. So I pray. And I remember praying at that Bible college. And I said, all right, Lord, it's January, 2009. I'm praying that this year, as I take a year off from school, that you'll show me if I'm supposed to be an actor, a photographer, or a musician. Those are the three options I gave God. And I didn't hear anything. In six months down the road, I still didn't hear anything. And I prayed. And that was the most miserable year of my life to date. Because it felt like everybody else figured out what they're supposed to do with, with their lives except me. Isn't that the worst? It's like, you're the one left out. Like everybody else has a gifting. Everybody else has a calling. Everybody else is married or dating, right? And you're just the lone wolf. And you're like, well, maybe not, lone sheep, not a wolf. You're the person who's left out. And you're going, well, why is it that God answers their prayers and God doesn't answer my prayers? And so obviously I didn't end up doing any of those things. I thought it was supposed to be music, so that's what I pursued. And God had to shut those doors. And I didn't realize that at the time that What I took as unanswered prayer was God slowly showing me that there was an option that I couldn't even fathom or dream of for myself. I've never imagined that I'd be working at church for 11 years and planting my own church with an instant family, you know, moving to Brooklyn and reaching secular people like Matt and myself went today. We're talking to people. And as we're just making conversations with random people, they're open, you know? And then on the radio station today for Bridge Bible Talk, someone calls in and says, hey, I've been looking for a church. I live in Carroll Gardens. It's like amazing. Like I could have never planned that. And so what I'm trying to say to you today is there may be a third option that when you're praying, you don't even know about. It's not even in your purview. You're like, do I go to this state? Go to this state. Do I go to this school or that school? Do I date this person or that person? Well, hopefully it's not like that. (laughs) Only one person you're thinking about right now because that's, that's a little weird. But you have in your mind, this is the only possibility and it doesn't work out. So what does that mean? God doesn't love me or is there something else? Today I found out, you know, we're looking for an apartment right now and it's like the perfect apartment, but there's a number of circumstantial things that weren't able to get it. And so we randomly, Matt and I bumped into the landlord as we were walking around in the streets of Carroll Gardens today. And so it was like, that's a really strange coincidence. And in talking to her, she's like, yeah, we decided to go with other people and rent to this other family. And I was thinking, well, you know, obviously that's a closed door, but there still has to be an opportunity because God brought this person randomly on the street at this specific time for me to talk to them. So I gave them a postcard with our family. She like melted and she was like, oh, this is amazing. And they're looking to go back to Israel. So we're praying for them. And so I'm like, I don't know what God's going to do with it but I'm not going to trust in a specific answer I'm looking from God for my faith. Does that make sense? Like my faith in God is not contingent on his saying yes to my prayer. When we pray, sometimes we're like, God, I'll only believe you if you say yes to what I'm praying. And it can be something simple. You're like, Lord, if you're out there, I pray that you give me a sign. I pray that you like, Flicker the light switch. I pray that you, you do a lightning bolt. And Obviously, this is easy for you. I pray that you show me that you're real. And nothing happens. You're like, all right, I guess God isn't real because he didn't bow down to my commands. Right? So is there, is there another option? Is there something we're not thinking about? Is there something beyond what we imagine? So when we pray, we don't have to lose faith or lose heart because we truly believe in a God who does answer our prayers, So tonight we're exploring why does it seem sometimes that God is silent? Jesus did say, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And we often feel like, well, I I asked a lot of things in his name and he didn't do it. So it feels more like, well, does prayer actually do anything? Not if I ask anything, God will do it. It feels like, does prayer do anything? Well, there's a number of things, a number of reasons I think that may be why we feel like God is silent. And the first reason is this. Why, is, why does God sometimes see, seem silent? Number one, it could be because of indwelling sin. Indwelling sin. David, King David said in Psalm 66, verse 18, he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So translation, if I have sin in my heart and I'm not repenting, and I'm not letting go of that sin, God's not going to hear my prayers. Sin separates us from God. It causes a division. God is antithetical to everything that is sin. God is light. Sin is darkness. So when you have sin in your heart, what are you doing? It's not like God changes who he is, but sin, in order to keep it for what it is, we always have to look for the darkness. We have to keep it in the dark. That's where it has power, right? If you're addicted to pornography... No one just goes, well, I'm just going to tell everybody I'm addicted to porn, right? No one goes into accountability agreement and is like, hey guys, just want to let everybody know in the open that I'm struggling with a sin. Why? Because sin only survives in the darkness. But what does that sin do? It's easy to see how something like pornography in a marriage can create distance in a marriage, right? Because you're looking for satisfaction for someone other than your spouse. In the same way, when you have sin in your heart, You can't hold on to it and also have a fellowship and relationship with God. So sin causes you to shrink back from the person of God. You you refuse to draw near to him. You refuse to read the Bible and and go to church and be accountable because sin, in order to keep it alive, you have to keep in the darkness. One of the scariest verses in the Bible, I think, is in Judges chapter 16, verse 20. When Samson, who was a judge of Israel was seduced by Delilah. And as he was tricked into giving up the secret to his strength, the Bible says in Judges 16, verse 20, that as he was giving out his secret, as to the fact that his hair was giving him strength, and that's how the Holy Spirit worked, when he tried to break loose of his bonds, it says, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. I think that is the scariest verse, to not even realize that God's spirit is no longer upon you in power. Eli the priest in 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, he had a lot of sin that he did not deal with. In fact, his sons, as he was a priest, he had priestly sons, they would sleep with people who would come to the temple, the tabernacle, and they would seduce them, and they would, you know, all kinds of things that they were doing, and Eli refused to confront his son's sin. And so what happened was in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Why is that? It's because the leadership was corrupt. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13, how did God get his message across? It wasn't through you know, God's leader, the priest, it was through a little boy who was the intern for the priest, Samuel. And so God spoke through Samuel. And it says in verse uh, 13 of 1 Samuel chapter three, God says to Samuel, I have told him, him being Eli, I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons have made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. So what does that all mean? Well, when God does speak, it says the Bible, the Bible says that there was no widespread revelation of God's word in those days, right? Eli the priest, the person who who should be hearing from God, doesn't hear from God. Then Samuel, the little boy who's interning for him, does hear from God. And the message is the same message that God already spoke to Eli saying, your sons are corrupt and you need to deal with that. So here's why perhaps God may seem silent when you're speaking to him. Because maybe God already spoke and you just don't like the message. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe when you're saying, God, God's not answering my prayers. Well, maybe you gotta deal with the sin in your heart first. Maybe God's been trying to convict you of that sin and you refuse to hear him. And so because of that, you have no choice but to shrink back from his fellowship. This is unfortunately what you see with the prosperity gospel, progressive Christianity. People refuse to hear what the Bible actually says on this, these issues. And when you do that, it's impossible to actually get the full counsel of God because there are in entire portions of Scripture that you're omitting. It's not just a little deal when you decide to just take things out of the Bible. Right? And I'm like, well, I don't really believe that's a sin. I, I, you know, I don't think that's a, bi- that's a big deal. I know that's what the Bible says, but I'm just, I don't, I don't think like all of the Bible is relevant, just certain portions that speak to me. You see, when you're doing that, God is giving you specific instructions on how you are to approach him and you are ignoring them. Saying, I know God is trying to speak something in my heart and saying, I want you to change this. I want to deal with this issue inside of you. And you're saying, well, I don't really know if I want you to change me. And when we do that, how can we expect to draw closer to God? So this is what Romans chapter one speaks of in verse 18 through 19 when it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for he has shown it to them. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God, but the wrath of God is real. And people ignore the wrath of God because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They want to hold on to their sin, hold on to their idol, though it's killing them, though your idol actually can satisfy you. And it could be your career, it could be wealth. It could be your relationship. You refuse to look at it. It can be like a very unhealthy relationship, right? You refuse to look at it, critique it, and say this relationship actually is detrimental to me. It's toxic. It actually can't help me. It actually can't save me. And what happens is we can't even take good things, and we raise it to the level of the ultimate thing, and we worship it. And so the Bible mocks this idea and says, why do you worship an idol like a statue that has eyes, but it can't see? It has ears, but it can't hear? And then moreover, you ever thought about like, you have to take care of your idol. You gotta wax it, you gotta dust it. Like your idol does nothing for you and you have to do everything for it. And that's what happens when we have idols in our heart. When we take things that God has given us and make them the ultimate thing, we refuse to hear God's word because we suppress the truth and therefore we miss God altogether because there is a God substitute. Well, this means, and this is where, you know, I have to be a little bit convicting because I'm a pastor and that's my responsibility. I don't want to shame anybody ever, but it's really important that we talk about, like, not everybody is God's child. You may feel like, oh, we're all God's children. God loves, like, God does love the world, but not every person is God's child. You are adopted into God's family when you believe on Jesus, which means that, It may be the case that if you don't feel conviction over your sin, maybe you're not really God's child. If you can suppress truth and unrighteousness, you can suppress sin in your heart and you feel no conviction, no guilt, no shame, maybe you actually don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you saying, hey, there's no room in here. You need a clean clean house. We need to get some of this stuff out. So not all people are God's children. And we really have to ask the question, Did I actually believe on Jesus Christ? You see, sometimes when we have sin and we're guarding our heart, it's just completely offensive to then go to God and start asking for a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not saying you're completely eradicated all sin from your life, right? But there's a difference between like sinning and enjoying it and sinning and grieving, right? Are you just eating up inside like Pastor Lily talks about all the time. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you can't enjoy sin anymore. Your desires have changed. You may continue to sin, but you hate the fact that you still sin because you know you grieve God's heart. Now imagine that somebody, some kid, random kid, bullies my son Cruz and then comes to me and says, hey, do you have $5? Like, who the heck are you? You're just a little brat. You're just bullying my kid. Of course I'm not going to give you money. Right? Although... If Ryder decides to pick on Cruz, right, and then ask me for money, he's still my son. Like, maybe I'll probably still give him money, but I have to discipline him as well. But when you have a relationship, he's in the family. The way that I deal with him is completely different. So are you God's child in the first place? You see, that's what it really means when the Bible says, ask anything in my name. Not everybody can ask in God's name. Not everybody can ask with God's authority. It's like you're linked to God's account because you're God's child and therefore you can do things in the name of God, just like my kids can do things in my name because we're all of the same family. So that doesn't mean that some magic formula that I prayed in Jesus' name is supposed to happen, but instead we have to ask ourselves the question, are we really in God's family in order to be able to even use his name. So let me just appeal one more time. If you have hidden sin in your heart, the Bible says that your sin will find you out. Sometimes people don't share about their sin because they're so afraid of the consequences, but you should be more fearful about what it's doing to your relationship with God, the God that you say that you love. Isn't it better to just get that sin out in the open and say, I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what happens to me. I'm more concerned about restoring that fellowship with the God that I say that I love. It is so important. So the first reason that God may seem silent is that you might have indwelling sin. Number two is maybe you don't actually know his voice. God may seem silent because you don't actually know His voice. Going back to Samuel and Eli, remember Samuel, if you remember the story, just a little boy serving with Eli, is, you know, in his room going to sleep, and then here's Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel goes, "Oh, Eli's calling me." So he goes to Eli says, "Yes, what, what did you say? You, you said something? I didn't say anything, and it happens three times, right? You're definitely saying something because I'm hearing a voice. It's going Samuel. And Eli Eli goes, oh, it's probably God, right? (laughs) Like I've never said that to my kids. My kids are like, you know, I I see voices. I I see a monster. I don't go, oh, it's probably God. But maybe I'll try that next time. So Samuel, here's the key. He did not recognize what God's voice sounded like. So how would you know? Sometimes I think, The problem is we try to pretend to be spiritual with all our friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've totally heard God's voice. Yep, Yeah, there was one time that um, I was passing by Sovereign Bank. And I was just a reminder that God's sovereign over everything. And I said, Lord, yes, you are sovereign. I know he's speaking to me. It was like the words just jumped out, right? Like, how do you know his voice? And so sometimes we fake it because we just assume that probably everybody, this is probably everybody's experience. Or you hear the crazy person who's just like, God, God speaks to me with an audible voice. And you're just like, well, that's never happened to me. And then you just write off that person. Like that person is just crazy. Like I've never heard God in an audible voice, but I have heard God speak things to me. So what does that sound like? Well, here's what I would say. Jeremiah in chapter 23, verses 28 through 30, here's what happened. The context was there are a bunch of false prophets who are just saying in God's name, in the name of the Lord, here's the oracle of the Lord. Here's, here's what God says. And God's, God basically says to the prophets, he says, I am so sick and tired of people using this phrase, the oracle of the Lord, that whoever says that, we're just going to stone that person. Like, we're done with it. I, I just don't want people to say that because nobody's actually listening to what I have to say. And they're saying, God told me to tell you. Wait, that sounds familiar. That's like every other pastor on the planet, right? God wants to speak to you today. God told me to tell you. This is what God says, right? Every televangelist you've ever heard says that. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm a little scared to say that. I don't say that. What I usually say is like, maybe God's saying this. You judge for yourself. I don't want to be accountable for that. I take it very seriously when people say in God's name, or this is what God says. So Jeremiah 23, 28 through 30 God says, let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word, my book, right? He says there's a difference between straw and grain. Here's the difference between God's word. If you want to know what God's voice sounds like, here's what he says. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? Here's here's how I know what God's voice sounds like. I don't go after the fact, after I heard God's voice and go, was was that really God? I never have been convicted of sin and walk away and be like, well, did God really want to convict me of this particular sin? Like, you know, I said something rude to Jenna the other day. I walk away convicted and be like, this is probably Satan trying to convict me, right? No one ever says that. Like, you know it's God's voice. You have inside of you, This nagging feeling that God is not happy with what you're doing right now, the attitude that you have. It's not representative of Jesus. Now that might seem like a simple example, but hopefully there's been a time in your life where you've sat in a Bible study and it has nothing to do with what the pastor said or his voice or his talent or ability, but you know that God is speaking to you in that moment. I've been in those places before and it doesn't matter like who I'm sitting next to, what text message I'm getting, I'm locked in. Because I know God is prophetically speaking to me about my situation in that moment. And that's because God's word burns like fire. And and so here's what I would say. If you've never had that experience, don't fake it. Don't pretend, don't lie about it. Say this to God. God, I've never heard your voice before. So first the confession. Lord, I have no idea what your voice actually sounds like. Then number two, Lord, would you start speaking things to me? As I read your word. Sometimes people have never heard God's voice because they don't actually read his book. They don't actually take time to hear what he has to say. If you ever want to know what God has to say about the universe, he wrote this entire book, 66 books, right? Thousands of pages in this Bible, all about God's will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Start reading this book and he will start speaking to you. Romans chapter 15, verse four says, whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I mean, isn't it worth it? Like if God went through all this trouble, as like a little kid, I used to look at this book and be like, only God could have written this because who else has all their time, all that time on their hands to write a book this big, right? Like that was my my little kid like vision of, of like why this is authoritative. But if you think about it, doesn't it make sense if God took the time to write this book and over thousands of years, 40 different authors spread over six different continents, wrote this book about God's will and it's inspired by God. The Bible, Bible says that it's all God-breathed. Shouldn't you actually take the time to learn it and, and read it? So I think it's awesome what Nick is doing. You guys read the Bible in 90 days and now taking six months to go through scripture. There's no more important task than sitting down and really hearing from God. So I just really think that's that's important. Maybe you're not knowing God's voice because you've actually haven't put yourself in a position to hear from him. And that might, that might start small. That might start with you just forming a habit. Like for me, this may not sound very spiritual, but for the longest time, you know how much Bible I read? One chapter a day. That's it, for like seven years. And then everybody else is just like, well, if you really love God, you need to spend like a half hour reading the Bible. You need to spend like at least four chapters a day. I mean, like that's great if you can do it. But for me, I was just like, I was so bad at reading. I just need one chapter a day to read. And then I started journaling and I've been doing that for the past 11 years. Then I started adding prayer and then I add something in the morning. I've never been a morning person. I've only started morning reading probably about three years ago, three or four years ago. I've never been a morning person. So what I'm saying is not to like set the bar really low to the level of me, But realistically, the most important thing is you make your goal every single day, I want to hear something from God today. Even if it's one verse and you're saying, my goal is every day I want to read one verse of the Bible and carry it with me the rest of the day. There's like a verse of the day on the Bible app. You know, read that verse, pray it through and just like think about it. Like take three times, set an alarm on your phone. Three times a day, I want to look at that verse. That's a great way to start a habit. And then you can always build on that. But how terrible of an idea would it be if you want to start working out and the first thing you do is, I'm going to run for three hours. I'm going to start working out. The first thing I'm going to do is get on the bench press and start benching 300 pounds. Like some of you are just like, like you can't bench 300 pounds? Psh, what's wrong with you? Like I, I can't do that. But for most of us average people here, like you put so much pressure on yourself to do so much and you get discouraged when you can't do what other people have been doing their entire lives. So I've been, in, I've been journaling for like 11 years, right? And then you can't journal for a week and you're just like, oh man, I'll, I don't know if I could ever do this. Well, I've been doing it for 11 years. Of course it's gonna take time to build that habit, but don't give up because God is worth it. So why does God seem silent? Number one, indwelling sin. Number two, we may not know his voice. Number three, Lastly, our request is not in line with his will. Our request is not in line with his will. So I mentioned before, like, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Sounds like he should have put a lot of caveats in it. And he actually did. And the Jewish readers in that time would have understood that. So the worst thing to do is take it stripped from its context and just say, you said that. You said anything in my name. I'm praying in Jesus' name, so you should do it. Right? We need to respect the text and understand that this is 2,000 years ago, so we need to know the context. And the co- best context is the rest of the Bible. Here's what James chapter 4 verse 2 says. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So James very clearly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, if you ask and you don't have it, it's probably because it's from the wrong motivation. You're asking selfishly to spend it on your own pleasures. But here's the thing. God knows that if you got whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, just through prayer, it would destroy you. Imagine how many prayers that if God answered, your life would be ruined. Aren't you thankful for some of the no's in your life? You're like, oh, I'm so thankful I didn't marry that person. I'm so thankful that I didn't make that decision, right? And you've prayed with tears. Lord, please, I'll do whatever. I'll read my Bible. I will. You know, I'll serve in the church. But sometimes God says no because he wants to give you something better than what you want. It's what you need. So saying in Jesus' name implies doing according to his will, According to his character, the ESV study Bible makes this comment on this passage saying, praying in Jesus' name means praying in a way consistent with his character and with his will. Because a person's name in the ancient world represented what a person was like. It also means coming to God in the authority of Jesus Christ. So this is not a cop-out. So some of you are like, disappointed. You're like, I really thought that this message was going to be about like, really, you can ask anything in Jesus' name and... It will happen, right? This is not a cop-out, and here's why. Anything, the reason why Jesus said anything is because he's implying that there are countless things that God wants to accomplish through us. It's not just like, if you pray for very specific things, then I'm going to do it. He's saying anything. I mean, there's a whole list of things that God's saying, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. But like, nobody's praying for it, and nobody's actually doing it. This is why in the same passage, he says, greater works will you do. Why? What are the greater works than Jesus? What does that mean? It's greater in scope because when he sends his Holy Spirit, Jesus is able to be present through all of us to do all of his work. If we just had a physical Jesus here right now, right? Imagine how many people want to talk to him. Everybody just waiting in line for all of eternity trying to talk to Jesus. And see Jesus do miracles. Okay, now Jesus is in the Middle East. Now let's have him in the United States. But the fact that God can send his spirit to all of us means that he can infinitely multiply the work that he does. But it's the work that he wants to do. That's why Jesus said, pray like this. That his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What happens in heaven? Whenever God says something, it's just perfectly done on earth there are free-willed beings that sometimes don't want to follow God's will. So when we pray, we align our will with God's will and we say, God, use me as a vessel so that your will can be accomplished through my life. My friend Landon always says that there are prayers that God will always say yes to. And our mission is to find out what those prayers are. Romans chapter eight, verse 26 says, the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. If we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Bible says that our weakness, the greatest weakness that you and I have is not your inability to speak, inability to do a specific task, is that you don't know what to pray for. We have no clue what to pray for. But the second you do, you know what God wants to accomplish to you? He will always say yes to those things because it's God who wants to actually accomplish it. So saying it's unanswered prayer is actually probably a a wrong characterization because saying unanswered prayer implies apathy and indifference. But instead, God has drawn near to us, hasn't he? That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. There's yes, no's, and maybes, and laters. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer because Jesus stepped into our world to be the answer to every heart's cry that they want something more. But that also means that we have to be okay when God says no. There are people that pray that that believe that if you just have enough faith that you can accomplish it. There's a a friend of mine whose name is Lance. His his wife has uh, a form of diabetes you know where it's just obviously debilitating. She's pregnant right now and and so we're praying for her because there's all kinds of complications. She's going to countless hospital visits and doctor visits. And people insensitively have said, have you tried praying that she would be healed of her diabetes? Some charismatic people who really believe, if you have enough faith, you can pray and God will take it away. And what he says cleverly is whenever people say like, you should pray, if you have enough faith, then you should pray. He, he says back, well, obviously we don't have enough faith, but you do, so why don't you pray so that she can be healed? Right, like if you're just saying you need enough faith, then why don't you pray because you obviously have enough faith, she'll be healed and we'll be happy. So so the fact of the matter is sometimes God does say no. In fact, even Paul the apostle experienced this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse something, verse seven. Popular passage, maybe one of the most encouraging passages because you're like Paul's a super apostle and yet he prayed that he would be healed and God said no three times he says "Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me and he said to me this my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, whatever the thorn in the flesh was, maybe it was some kind of debilitating disease, maybe it was some kind of panic disorder, anxiety disorder, Whatever it was, he prayed three times, God, please take this thing away from from me. And God says, no, because my grace is sufficient for you. My power works best in weakness. Sometimes God says no, because what he really wants to give you is more of himself. Many times I struggled for seven years with panic attacks. I prayed and prayed and prayed that God would take it away. He didn't take it away instantly. It took years for him to answer that prayer. But now I know that God used that so I can identify with other people who have the same struggles and I can understand and empathize with that struggle. And all the while knowing that God was faithful. So in conclusion tonight, if you're feeling like still unsatisfied, you're still like, but God still doesn't say anything to me. Think about this. Jesus himself identifies with unanswered prayer. When he was on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His cries went up to heaven and he was left and abandoned there. But there is one prayer that we are always guaranteed to be answered with a yes. Did you know that? There's one prayer that if you pray, it's always guaranteed that'll be a yes. It's a secret. Do you know it? What is the prayer? Every time we pray, God will always say, yep, I'll do that. Totally okay with that. The answer is whenever you pray for God's Spirit and more of His presence, He will always say yes. Luke chapter 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from, from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, it's a little tandem asking me and he says, hey, can I have some fish? She doesn't like fish, but ask for a fish. I'm like, here's a scorpion. No, no one would do that. No loving father would do that. If, he asked, if Ryder asked me, hey, can I have an egg? Will you give a scorpion or a serpent instead of a fish? Whatever. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So think about this. Everyone look up here. Jesus was forsaken so that you could be accepted. Jesus was abandoned at the cross so that you could always enter into God's presence. There's nothing stopping you from getting more of God's Holy Spirit today. So if you don't have God's presence, perhaps it's because you're not truly God's child. John 14, 16 says, I will pray to the Father, he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you don't have God's presence, why not today? Ask and invite his Holy Spirit to come into your life, transform you from the inside out, give you eternal joy, everlasting peace, hope that lasts beyond tomorrow. You know, sometimes I think we put so much pressure on God to give an immediate answer. But maybe what we have to do is wait. I remember when Jen and I were first dating. You know, when you're first dating, it's like you're always like trying to avoid awkward silence, right? You're like always thinking of things to say. But there came a very definitive point in relationship. I remember being on the phone and we weren't saying anything, right? Right? And I remember we were just kind of just agreeing together. It's like, it's kind of nice. The silence is kind of nice. like, we don't have to say anything. We just drive together, hold hands, you know, and just kind of like enjoy the moment. We don't have to say anything. Sometimes when you're going through a really hard moment, the worst thing people can do is say something, right? Like you're grieving a loss. The worst thing people can do is just start saying, like feel like they have to say something. But your closest friends can just stand by you in that moment and just be present. And sometimes, check this out, the strength of your relationship is sometimes determined by your comfortability with silence. The strength of your relationship with God is sometimes determined by how comfortable you are with just waiting for the answer. Maybe it's unanswered prayer, but maybe he's waiting for you to wait on him so that he can be the answer and say, I'm waiting for you to say more of your presence, Lord more of your spirit, Lord. I want you to transform my life. I don't know what your answer is to this question. I don't know what you're going to do. I need direction. But ultimately, if all I get is more of your presence, then I am okay with that. But that means, like I said in the beginning, our faith in God cannot be predicated on how he answers our prayers. A lot of people say, like, I pray to God, he didn't answer me. And so they start to lose faith. But prayer should not be a test in your faith, it should be an action of faith, an extension. Because I believe in God, because I know Him, because I have a relationship with Him, I pray and I don't need Him to answer right away. Because I know that He's good. He's faithful. He's gonna show up. He's gonna do something beyond my imagination. The Bible says, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so much higher are your ways than my ways. He can do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you can ask or think. So one day you might find yourself looking back and saying, I'm so glad that God did not give me what I wanted because he did something that amazed me. Let's pray.